Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father, we are in desperate need of your hand of grace on our families. Father, we see immediately from reading the scriptures that our efforts are not enough. God, our our efforts are not enough in our family. God, we do not have the capacity, we do not have the ability to change the hearts and minds of our children, of our spouse, our parents. Father, we need you. We need you. We call to you, Father, asking that you would equip us to build with you. But most of all, asking you, God, to build. Build our homes. Build them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So right away in Psalm 127, what do you see three times? Three times you see him saying, To build this way is in vain. To build this way is in vain. To watch over what you have built in this way is in vain. Now whenever I see the phrase in vain in scriptures, I immediately come to attention. Um, One of my favorite passages in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15 that lays out this great case for the resurrection. And basically in 1 Corinthians 15... It says, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, if you can't be joined to him, then whatever you do, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Live, die, drink, eat, be merry, none of it matters. But if he is resurrected, then the chapter ends, I can't remember what verse it is, verse 50 maybe, by saying, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord Your labor is never in vain. I love that. It's never in vain. And so my my ears perk up when I'm reading Psalm 127, and and I realize very quickly that he's talking about building a family. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about building a marriage. He's talking about building children. He's talking about protecting a home. The second metaphor is a watchman. In those days, cities had walls around them, and at night, you would have the night watchmen. They would be up on the wall. Their job was to stay awake so that they could see the enemy coming and, and warn everybody of the dangers. Okay, and, and again and again in Psalm 127, the psalmist is saying, look, unless God builds this thing, unless, unless God works, unless he, he does what only he can do, it is in vain. Now, one of the things you're going to see in Psalm 127 that immediately kind of maybe strikes, strikes me anyway, is that the Bible values children at a level that you have probably never seen in our culture, okay? Our culture does not value children the way that the Bible values children. One of the great evidences of that 
is the abortion industry in America. Uh, you know, when we're willing to kill millions of children, it's obvious that our, our culture does not value them. And, and not at all as the Bible values children, right? Man, there's sections of the Bible. You read in the book of Genesis, that whole section with Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Man, it's like baby, you know, there's like a baby competition that's an Olympic sport there, right? I mean, they, they, are, they are, 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 are passionate about families, right? About children. Uh, you've got uh, Abraham and Sarah, the elderly couple who are yearning and living and holding on for this promised son. You've got Hannah. Remember Hannah in the scripture, who, he, the priest finds her at church, if you will, and she is praying so fervently that he thinks she's on something, you know? He thinks she's drugged up. He thinks she's drunk. You know, he thinks she's some kind of immoral lady because her prayer is so passionate for children. And, and, and so you find this, this value of, of people, really, people creating the image of God. Verse 3 says the children are a heritage from the Lord. They're, they're an inheritance, a blessing. Calls them a reward. And, and then quickly you see that, that the payoff for investing in children can be huge, can be big. But not just in terms of personal fulfillment, but really in terms of world impact. Look, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, now what, do, what do arrows in the hand of a warrior, what are they meant for? They're, they're meant to, to fire at the enemy, right? The enemy's coming, the opposition's coming, you know? And, and the arrows are the, the warrior's weapon with which to deal with the enemy. And so, verse 4 describes arrows in the hand of a warrior. So, godly children, children who are disciples of Jesus, who make disciples, are launched into the world aimed at God-glorifying impact. I mean, I can't tell you how exciting that is when I think about Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church as strategic warriors launching an assault at the strongholds of the enemy by firing disciple-making children into the world. Right now, in homes, in, in our Sunday school over at Fifth Street that's packed full of children, in our children's church here at Lincoln that's going on right now, Wednesday, our team kid, when you think about arrows being straightened and skillfully crafted and sharpened and ready to be drawn back and released at the target of the lost world. You know, I, I've come to terms with some things. I'm probably not going to be on the New York Times bestseller list for my novel, okay? Um, I haven't written it is the main reason, and I can't get my sermon done till Sunday morning at 8.35, five minutes after the first service has started, so I doubt that's ever going to happen. I, I do not think that I'm probably going to be the Billy Graham crusade speaker type, you know? Um, not that I'm not sure willing, but nobody's calling me, asking me to speak to stadiums of people. I'm probably not going to be on the conference circuit, but... What thrills my soul is to think about six sharp arrows being fired into a lost world with the capacity to change the world. That's what I'm praying. I'm praying for that. So the payoff and the potential for world impact for investing in children is big. Okay, Your own biological children. Yes, of course. Adopted children. Even more so. Fostering children. Yes, discipling, mentoring children. In fact, if, if you've ever taken our training for our children's ministry with Pastor Daniel, you know that, 
that the, the verse that our children's ministry kind of hangs on doesn't talk about our own children, really. You know, it assumes that. But in Psalm 78, 4, it says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. That verse is talking about discipling other people's children. Do you see that? And so what particularly does Psalm 127 tell us about building a family? Well, number one, it tells us, unless the Lord. All right, do you see that numerous times, right? So, so in Psalm 127, it starts out saying, unless the Lord builds, then it's all in vain. Unless the Lord watches over, then it's all in vain. It is in vain to rise up early and stay late, unless the Lord. All right, and so the big picture here is that unless God works, it will all be for nothing. We need Him to work. Now, be careful, okay? So, so what does that do in your heart? Well, you know what it does in some people? Some people are pendulum people. Do you know folks like that? Like, they, there's never a middle for them. They're either here or they're swinging all the way to here. And some people, when they, when they read that, when they hear that, well, unless God does it, then, then it doesn't matter, you know, it's all in vain. Well, then I'm not even going to try. Okay, first of all, that is against the rest of the Bible. Second of all, that is against the text that we just read, okay? The, the, the text, notice, it doesn't say the laborer shouldn't labor and the watcher shouldn't watch and the builder shouldn't build. No, 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 that is implied. It's saying unless God joins that effort, it is all for naught. And so, one of the principles of family in the scriptures is that it is work. If you did premarital counseling with me, then you know that marriage is hard. You know it because I told you, right? Because that's one of the things that I, I make sure to tell couples because a lot of people come in to do their premarital counseling, planning for the wedding, and in their mind, here's what they're thinking. Man, I'm so glad that when I marry you, all my problems will be over, okay? Not true, okay? Not true. In fact, what the Bible would tell you is that you are going to have to employ great effort and energy and time and strategy and planning and skillful construction to build a marriage that is worth having and a family that are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. It's work. Not just work, but it's strategy. I mean, it's skill. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. You're not automatically going to do that. In fact, you will automatically not do that. Everything in your flesh is built to not do that. And so in order to do it, it's, it's going to demand work. Raising godly kids is work. Ephesians 6.4, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. we got to plan. we got to strategize. we got to give time and effort to our marriages how to love our spouse well. Man, at this stage in my family, I have to start planning early in the day, start strategizing early in the day if I want to have 15 minutes of conversation with my wife. Okay? I mean, that, that's just, that's, I, and I, it hasn't always been that way, and I'm hoping that we'll get out of that phase, but right now, that's the reality of my family. Like, like if, if I don't make it happen by skill and sheer effort, then we will hardly see each other, you know? 
We'll, we'll, be, we'll be maybe in the same house for a couple hours in the evening before we go to bed. But I'm going to be doing this and she's doing science projects. And I'm taking care of the dishes and getting supper cleaned up. And then we're both trying to manage cult. And then we're, you know, someone's getting into bed while the others, you know, get everybody else ready. And we're cleaning everything else up. And a lot of times I'm in bed before she gets done putting cult down to bed. You know, I mean, it, it, it's going to demand effort and skill. And the, those 15 minutes better be spent well. Marriages don't build themselves. Children don't build themselves. Now, I, I know it is true. I know it is true that some people are naturally easy to get along with. You know, they're just those, they're the people that you want for your college roommate. You know, they clean up after themselves. They don't cause any problems. You know, they're not easily offended. They're, they're low, low maintenance. They really don't demand anything of anybody. And sometimes two of those people get married. It should be illegal, actually. I, 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 would, I would propose that to you. They, they need, you know, if they're really that way, they need to marry somebody hard to just balance it all out, you know, and, and help everybody else out, right? But they, that does happen every once in a while. Every once in a while, somebody will have a child that comes out of the womb and is like, hey, Dad, what can I do for you, man? You know, I'd, 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 I want to do everything you say, and, you know, I'm never going to rebel. You know, every, everyone, you know, if that happens, then don't have any more, for goodness sakes, all right? And it probably won't stay that way, but I doubt it will happen. Once in a while, there are those situations, but that is not the norm. Marriage is work. Family is work. Children are work. It takes strategy and effort and, and, and thinking and planning. And, and you ought to give some thought to that. Absolutely, the psalmist is saying labor. But here's what the psalm is really saying, okay? So, it, yes, labor. Yes, you got you to think about it. you got to plan it. you got to do it well. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. Absolutely. But Psalm 127 is saying, even if you do all of that, unless God is in it, unless God is at work, unless the power of God Almighty is changing the hearts of your children, it will be in vain. Now, do you feel utterly helpless when I say those words? You should. You should. Okay? If you're still in the phase of, this is easy. I got this all figured out. Number one, what that means is that your kids are not very old. Number two, what that means is you're in for a rude awakening. There is no do one, two, three, and you will fire arrows into the heart of darkness for the glory of God. There isn't that. Here's the reality. I am helpless. I, I can't make them love Jesus. I wish I could. I can't show them the glory of God. I mean, I can show it, but I can't make them see it. Work done independently of God will be futile. That's what he's saying. Whenever you're working, but God is not in it, you're not working with him or for him or obedience to him, the work is in vain. So we are helpless, but... We must work with God. So what, what I'm telling you here is the Bible sets up this scenario. It's everything you've got. Okay? Everything you've got, 
All your effort, all your energy, all your planning, all your, your strategizing, it is that and it is God's work. Both those go hand in hand. You got to have both. Now, some of you are like, I don't know. Does the Bible really say that? Actually, it says that about everything. Okay, let, let, me, let me give you some examples. I'm afraid you won't believe me. Philippians chapter 2. This is about your Christian life. Are you ready? Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much more in my, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, excuse me, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is that? Effort. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Work it out to the point that you are trembling with fear. Effort. But the next verse says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What about serving Jesus? Well, turn the page. Colossians 1, 29, 28, let's do 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what I want for my family. Verse 29, for this I toil. What does the word toil mean? Labor, right? Sweat, effort. Everything you got. For this I toil, but then notice, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you, do you see what the Bible does over and over again? It's everything you got, but unless God is in it, it's all for nothing. 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. What is that? Labor. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God is within me. <laughs> you see, I mean, this is the way the Bible describes the Christian life. And it's, it's the way the Bible describes your family dynamic. It is everything you got. Giving effort. If you're not giving effort, you're in trouble. But it's God's hand of providence in your family. Without that, you're in trouble. Jesus functioned this way even. In John chapter 5, verse 17, he says, My father's working and I'm working. He says, My father's working until now and I am working. Okay, what does that look like, Jesus? Verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Man, if Jesus said that, how much more should Jason say that? You hear what Jesus said? The son can do nothing of his own accord. But only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, again, should that leave us with a helpless feeling? I think it should. I, I think here's where we ought to be. I am utterly dependent upon the Lord. I am utterly dependent upon the Lord for a good marriage. I am utterly dependent upon the Lord. For six children who will follow him. I am dependent on him. Reading Psalm 127 should cause me to drip with humility. It should cause me to wake up every morning like this. God, I can't do it. That's so biblical. God, I can't do it. You can. Man, I, I, it ought to make me constantly grateful. It ought to terrify me to get far from him. You know how I know people that don't know and don't believe Psalm 127? They're not afraid to get far from God. Like that doesn't bother them. If that doesn't bother you, if you can get far from God and just keep on trucking for a while and that doesn't bother you, 
evidently you believe you can handle this. Like, you can get it done. Like, like I can do it. I can, I can make this happen. I can, I, I can work it all out. Man, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of getting far from God. You know why? Because I'm convinced I can't do it unless the Lord builds the house. Okay, so I need God. So what, what does that mean for me practically? I want to make this pretty practical. So what, what does that mean? Well, it means this. I, John 15, this is a great verse to help us think about our efforts and God's sovereignty, keeping those two in balance. Okay, so here's what, here's what he says, Jesus says in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, Jesus said the same thing. You can't do anything apart from me. But what did he say? Abide in me. Abide in me. All right, so I'm applying that to Psalm 127. All right, unless the Lord builds a house, then those who labor, labor in vain. So what do I want to do? I got to abide in him, right? I, I got I to remain in him. I got to stick in him. Okay, so, so point number one, as I'm building my family, what do I want to do? I want to center my home on Christ. Whatever I see God doing, that's what I want to do. I want to keep my eyes on him, and I want to do what he's doing. I don't want to work against him. They came and got our branches. They came and get your branches on your curb? No? You know, you guys got to know people, you know? I don't know what I did, you know? <laughs> they came and got ours. Really cool. They, they put the loader up in my front yard, but, you know, it's okay. But, so they got all the big stuff. But then I had to rake all the leaves and the small stuff, you know. So I'm raking all of them up, and I'm I'm got my big trash bags, and I'm I'm stuffing them in the trash bag, and you know I, I like to step on them like this, and then do the you know I just fill them up like that. As I'm filling them up, Colt is running and leaping on them, you know. So you know I get it full, and then there it goes again, you know. I go in the backyard, and I'm making piles of my leaves so I can come with the trash bag and get them. And he turns the water on, and he goes and waters all my piles, you know. That's exactly what you, when you're picking up leaves, you want to be real wet. That's what you want, right? Don't do that in your family. You see that? You see what I'm saying? He, he did not look at what dad was doing and then do the same. No, no, no. He's got his own deal here. Dad, like, dad's doing one deal, and he's like, I'm going to water them leaves, you know. Dad's picking them up, putting them in the bag, but I'm going to water no. Don't, don't, don't do what God's not doing. In other words, you, you want to put Christ right in the center of your efforts. If you're working independently of God, if, you're not, if your efforts are not God-instructed, God-consulted, God-spoken of, God-exalted, if you're doing this for your glory, oh, here is where we really got to be careful. My friends, if, if the main motivation of your parenting is don't make me look bad, do you see how you're, you're not working with God? I mean, if my, if my main motivation is, man, don't embarrass me. I'm not doing what God's doing. I'm for my glory. God's for His glory. Well, we're not working together. I'm building something He's not building. Families are bombarded with things that will take up their time and attention. Have you ever gone to Mexico on a cruise ship? And you get off the ship at your port, and they've built that. I call it the gauntlet. You know, they built that little fake strip there where you walk through all the vendors, you know. And you got 
a thousand people trying to get you. I mean, they'll they'll grab hold of you. You know, hey, give me that. Look at that. Come on, you know, buy this, have this, go here. I'll take you on a ride. You know, what? I mean, just you know, everybody. It's like you got ah, 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 trying to get through. I just want to get to the beach. You know, man, that's that's the American family. I mean, there there are a thousand things to distract you. So we've got to make our aim of our marriages and families the glory of Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a cool verse. It says, "Trust." and by the way, Solomon wrote it. He wrote this psalm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Oh, there's a key. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So let's just unpack. What does that look like to keep Christ at the center of my family? Well, uh, let, let's, let's use something that Parents with kids, small kids, this doesn't work for with adult kids usually, but with small kids, you're, what are you doing? Much of your time is working on discipline, right? So what, what do we want to do to build with the Lord? Well, we want to we we build, we want to do what God's doing, right? So I, I, I don't want to discipline because I'm like, don't do that, that frustrates me. Or don't do that, that makes a mess. Or don't do, it's got to be bigger than that, right? It's got to be bigger than that. My goal's got to be the exaltation of Christ and the gospel, and so so in my discipline, and, and, and this is really easy, by the way, because you know why you discipline? Sin. Did you know that? Sin, right? Rebellion in the hearts of your child. And so what are you doing with your discipline? Well, you're, you're trying to get them to learn to obey authority, your authority, but ultimately that's not the game. The big game is what? You want them to obey God's authority, right? You want them to know that why are there rules and laws? Because God has rules and laws. Why, why does God have rules and laws? Because he's righteous and he's always right. And, and you've got to learn to submit to his law. And, and when you break his law, there are consequences of misery that come upon that. That's why you discipline. That's why, that's why you, you must establish a rule. And, and you, can't, you can't have rules in your family. And then on Monday, you don't enforce the rules, you know. Because, ah, it's just, I don't have time for that. Just come on, you know. Never mind. Quit that. One, two, three. I told you to quit that. One, two, three. You know, I told you one, two. I'm like, come on, man. I mean, my dad got to one. That was it. You know, he said there's three. If you didn't move at one, it was all over. You know, you, he never got past one. You know, it was one as it. Okay. Let's well, say so you do that on Monday, and then you do that on Tuesday, and you do that on Wednesday, and then Thursday you happen to have a horrible day. You got a migraine. Your boss yelled at you all day. You're really upset. And they do the same thing they did on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and now you go all volcano on them. You see, the problem with that is you're not representing God. And that's what the whole deal is about. It, shouldn't it be? Why? Because we want God to build the house. We want God to build a house. In your family, everything should be connected back to the gospel. Everything should be connected back to God. Why do we go work hard? Son, daughter, why do we go work hard? Well, we work hard because Ephesians tells us that we ought to work hard, that we have something to provide for our family and something to give. That's why we work hard, something to give. Why do we speak the truth? Because it ticks me off when you lie to me. Is that why we speak the truth? No, we speak the truth because Jesus is truth and he said the truth sets you free. And the Bible says the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. What brings life? Jesus, who's blessed? Those who meditate on the law of the Lord constantly affirm and remind and cast a vision for the plan of your family. You know, I was thinking about this. If I were to ask my kids, if you were to ask your kids, if I were to ask your kids, 
What, what is your mom and dad's desire for you in life? They should be able to tell you that based on your prayers. You see what I'm saying? You, you ought to have saturated their little lives, their whole life, with verbal prayers. This is what I want God to do in you. The other night, Haven prayed. Haven's, man, she's one of our best prayers, man. A lot of times, like, everybody else is just worried about, like, getting the, getting the dinner on and getting things going, you know. And so everybody, everybody's kind of expecting that, God, thank you for this food. You're so good. Thank you for the cross. Amen. Man, not Haven. Man, Haven, if she gets to pray, she is going to pray, you know. She's going to pray for Hannah and Addie and Haddon and Avery and Colt and herself and the missionaries. And, man, she, she's going to pray. And she's praying the other day, and, and I heard her pray for herself. And I can't tell you how my heart leaped because she prayed my exact words that I pray for her. I want that. I want that. Cast a vision for your family. Build some identity in your family. This is who we are. This is, this is what we hope for. This is what we pray for. This is, this is what we're on mission about. This is the kind of family we are. So number one, if we're going to build and we want God to build, then we need to, we need to work with Him, right? So we're going we're gonna to watch what He's doing, and we're going to do the same thing. Number two. And number two is really number one, and number two is really number three. And number two is really number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, okay? If we believe Psalm 127 is true, then we will pray. We will pray. Not, not as a before the meal, but we will pray like everything depends upon it. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That means I can give all this effort, but unless God does it, and if I am in desperate need of God, then I am in desperate need to pray because an almighty sovereign God has agreed to respond to the prayers of His people. Prayer is an overflow of dependence. We know we believe Psalm 127 when we pray, when we pray for our spouse, when we pray over our spouse and for our children and over our children and with our spouse and with our children. There is no explanation. I have thought about this. I've polled people. I've took surveys. There is no explanation for why husbands and wives do not pray out loud together at a higher percentage than they do. And by the way, I'm not talking about lost people. I'm not talking about the I'm talking about in the church. When you poll husbands and wives in the church, there is no explanation of why they do not pray together out loud more other than it is a demonic attack. It is a demonic conspiracy. The devil wants one thing more than anything, and that is he does not want you to pray together. There's just no other reason. I've took polls. You know, we, we've, we've kicked it around at man up. Is it, is it the intimacy between a husband and wife? Like, you know everything about me, and I know everything about you, and so it's hard for me to pray with you. And, you know, we, we know, you know each other's failures, and, you know, we feel it. What? I, I don't think there's an answer other than the devil does not want it to happen. That, that's, that's what I think it is. Because of Psalm 127, 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, if they're true and they are, then we desperately need God to move. And when you are desperate for God to move, what do you do? You pray. And the busier you are, the more you pray. And the more trials you have, the more you pray. And the more your children rebel, 
What would be the answer? The more you would pray. The more difficult things are. The more threat to your family. The more you would surround yourself with people who would pray for you. Here's another demonic conspiracy. Why? Why when marriages begin to crumble is the trend among Christians, don't tell anybody. And again, I've, I've, I've actually asked the questions. Why did you do that? There is not a good reason. You know, I've explored, is it, well, we're embarrassed. We don't want anybody to know. So you're going to leave it to burn down and it's going to be in the paper. You know what? Everybody will know. Wouldn't it be better to call your small group in fervently and say, people, pray for us. but I, I think there's a demonic attack not to. That, that's my only explanation. I can't, that's the only thing that makes sense in my head. When your children are struggling, man, you, that's when you should rally the troops. Man, you, you should use this for the glory of God. There's not a whole lot that goes on for the glory of God on these, but you could do that. Pray for me. Pray for my son. Pray for my daughter. Pray for us as a family. Pray for us. Why? Because unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Number three. And this is really not different than number one, but I want to hit it at a different angle. If we want God to build, then we'll obey him. Right? We'll do just what Jesus did. We'll, we'll see what the Father's doing and we'll join him in that. We'll, that's what it means to be a disciple. I, I, I do what God tells me. I, I do what Jesus did. Now, now, the reason I bring it up at a different angle is because I want to give you three stark examples of men in the Scriptures who did not obey and how it affected their family. Number one was David. David, man after God's own heart, but he does not obey in the issue with Bathsheba. He doesn't obey. He doesn't obey. He doesn't confess, repent quickly in the issue with Uriah the Hittite. And the scriptures are very clear that there is a direct correlation in the collapse of David's family and the generation that came to his own sin. Solomon, the guy that wrote this late in life, for whatever reason, I can't, I can't figure it out. He, he disobeys Deuteronomy and he, and he multiplies foreign wives. The, I mean, the Bible says specifically, a king should not multiply foreign wives. He does it and it collapses on him and it harms his family eli remember eli eli in the scripture guy wouldn't wouldn't discipline his sons he would not he would not go head to head with his sons his sons were disobeying and he kind of had the whole attitude of hey boys boys i'm telling you you guys but he wouldn't intervene he would not stop them from immorality in the temple he would not stop them from from the the sacrifices and his entire line was wiped out now, it's, it's just interesting. Was Eli a godly guy? He actually was. He actually did a lot of good things in the Scripture. But when we're building with the Lord, we've got to build with Him. Now, again, God's sovereignty. Man, aren't you glad you can make a whole bunch of mistakes and God still come through? Amen? But I, you know what? I'm not going to count on that. <laughs> Does that make sense? I, I mean, I think it'd be kind of silly for me to say, you know what? God's grace abounds, and you can make a whole bunch of mistakes, and God still come in. You know, you can give no effort, and God still come in. 
I think the scriptures give very clear evidence that I should not live that way. I should not count on that. I should give maximum effort and then plead with all my might for God to come in and rescue. Rescue. Anybody else feel a sense of heaviness from Psalm 127? Like a thousand pounds have just been placed on you? You're like, thanks, Pastor. Sure glad I came to church. Let me lighten that a little bit, okay? Verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. What is that saying? That, that's saying we can rest in God is exactly what that's saying. You know, the more children you have, the more fuel for anxiety and fear. Each one of those precious little ones comes with a million terrifying what-ifs, right? And man, it's, it's, it's really easy to fall into a trap of being so anxious and so worried and so fretful. That even though we're doing everything we can do, and even though we're praying, God, take it, there's that chance, what if he doesn't? And, and it's, it's easy to fall into this anxiety-ridden, fearful, parenting, family managing. God does not want that for you. He says, it is vain to do that. It's vain. It's vain for you to act like it all depends on you. It doesn't. Now, you need to do everything you can. You need to put Christ in the center of your family. You need to exalt every, everything toward the gospel. You, you, need, you need to follow God. You need to obey Him. But at the end of the day, you need to put it in His hands. And when you really do that, you can sleep. You know, there's, there's two translations of verse 2, the end of it, for He gives to His beloved sleep. There's the one that I just gave you that basically God, God gives to His beloved sleep. He lets you sleep. He lets you... Put it all off of you and just rest. But I actually like the other translation better. And, and the cool thing is they don't mean different things really. It's just a different angle. But in the Hebrew, it could be translated, and he gives to his beloved in sleep. Okay, now, I love that. I love the thought that my God can do in the hearts and lives of my kids and my wife while I'm unconscious and asleep in what would take me thousands of years of effort. Does that make sense? Like God, God can give, God can solve this deal. God can change the hearts of my kids while I'm asleep. Like while I'm doing, I'm unconscious. I think God has wired us to sleep for that reason. I, th I think sleep is a reminder that, listen, it's not all on you. <laughs> you know, you, you need to shut down and just... Be checked out for a while. I got this. Have you ever noticed that when you wake up, the world's still going, you know? You, you were out, man. And it's still rotating, and the sun still came up, and the birds still sang. He gives to his beloved sleep. I think it's a cool picture when in the scriptures, there is a storm that terrifies seasoned fishermen and what's jesus doing he is sleeping like a big dog in the front of the ship i love that they got to wake him up they think they're all gonna die 
They're just waking him up so he knows he's going to die. Man, he's out. He's out. Peter. Remember Peter? He's uh, arrested. James has been beheaded. He's next. And what, the angel's got to kick him to wake him up. He's got to shake him to wake him up. Because he's, he's asleep in between two guards. On the night before his possible execution. You know what that tells me? God is able to give to his beloved sleep. I want to obey Psalm 127. I believe it. And because I believe it, we're going to finish our service in a little bit different way. Our musician's going to come up and she's going to start playing. She's going to start playing the piano. You can sing if you want to. Please sing the song she's playing if you're going to sing. But really, here's what I would like for you to do. I'd like for you, instead of singing, I'd like for you to do what Psalm 127 says. I'd like for you to realize that unless the Lord builds a house, you're going to labor in vain. And so I want you to pray for your family. Okay? I want you to pray for your family. Now, some of you are sitting by your family. That's great. And if you just want to reach over and put your hand on them and you want to pray for them, that'd be, that'd be really great. In the last two services, we've had some folks that just whispered prayer. They went ahead and prayed out loud so their, their family could hear them. So there was lots of whispering going on in the, in the auditorium. You know what? That's legal. You can pray in church, okay? No tickets will be issued. You're not disrupting anybody. Um, that's fine. If you just need to pray to yourself and pray. Now, you can do that too, but I, I want you to pray. I want you to believe Psalm 127 that unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. And if that's true, and I believe it is, then, then we need to ask God. We need to ask Him. God, build my marriage. God, build my kids. God, build my grandkids. God, would you, would you intervene and do what only you can do, God? I am dependent upon you. Would you spend some time praying? So you bow your heads. Deborah's just going to play. And you begin to ask God. You just ask him to, to move in the hearts of your family, to, to make soft the soil of your children and your grandchildren's heart. Ask him. He's told us we can ask. He told us to ask and to seek and to knock. Ask him to draw your children to you, to himself. Ask Him to build your marriage, to take away bitterness, to take away unforgiveness, take away that hurt. Ask Him to wash over you anew. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain, ask Him to build it.
Father in heaven, we, we believe. God, we believe that you're good. We believe that you are the transformer of hearts. We believe, God, that Jesus' blood is sufficient to redeem us, to redeem our, our families, to redeem our children. We believe, God, that your Holy Spirit can so change a heart that that our families will love you, that they'll desire you, that they'll they'll want to obey you, God, that you can change a heart that brings about a just a great desire to follow you. God, we pray that you do that. God, we pray that you would send out arrows, Father, from this church, from these families. God, send them out into the world. Send them out into the, into the lost. God, let them hit their mark. Father, we pray that you'd build the house. God, build this church. God, we, we are dependent upon you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.